Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What is the scariest thing about making a movie? For me, it's letting go of control. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for Friday, April 14th. This is Gigi Hawkins, and this week I spoke with award-winning filmmaker Chris McKay, director of Renfield, which is out today. In our conversation, Chris and I talk about exactly why letting loose and letting go of control as a director and in all parts of filmmaking is critical to making something great, and how mess can bring about some of the most brilliant discoveries for your movie and your work. You're probably familiar with Chris's work. He directed The Tomorrow War, which scored 1.23 billion minutes of watch time and is among the best showings for any movie since Nielsen began tracking streaming viewership in 2020. He also directed the Lego Batman movie and over 50 episodes of Robot Chicken. He has extensive experience writing, producing, editing, including work on Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, The Lego Movie, and many more. And rumor has it he is directing the upcoming Johnny Quest movie, which just warms my middle school heart. So let's get messy. Welcome, Chris McKay, to the No Film School podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. I guess the first question is, did you go to film school? Yeah, I did. I did uh, go to film school. I was lucky enough to go to film school. I did two years at uh, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. I studied there, and then I went to Columbia College in Chicago. And that, that's where I got to actually experience like working on uh, movie sets. I, I, was a, I was a PA for, on the movie Uncle Buck. Uh, the John Candy, John Hughes movie. Nice, and that was a lot nice. of fun. So I got to I got to see how uh, movies were made. And yeah, I, I, I ever since I was a kid, I was I I was using my parents' Super Eight. They, they had a little Super Eight, you know, home movie camera that we took on vacations. And I just I just would take my friends and my brothers, and we would go and shoot little movies, kind of in the. Uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and we would shoot little movies in and around. Our area, little horror movies, little science fiction movies, occasionally a little bit of stop motion, very bad, very, very rudimentary stop motion, but, you know, probably charming when looking back on it now. But, uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And that's, that's where I, I mean, I, you know, when I, when I was a little kid, I, you know, even, even as, even like kindergarten, I think that the, the, they ask you like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, you're supposed to draw a picture of it. And I, and I drew Spider-Man and I said that I want to be, you know, I want to, I want to be an actress so I could play Spider-Man in a movie. So I've always loved movies and, and, and comic books and, 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 you know, and, and, and I read a lot. I read uh, the first book that I read, you know, kind of cover to cover on my own was a book called Movie Monsters by mm-hmm. Alan Ormsby. And Alan Ormsby wrote a lot of Bob Clark's horror movies, like Children Shouldn't Play With uh, Dead Things and Death Dream and the Paul Schrader Cat People and stuff like that. But he wrote this book for kids. That was it, the first half of it was all about like 
the Universal Monsters and Blackula mm-hmm. was in it and all sorts of things and King Kong. And then that second half of it was all practical tips on how to do monster makeup. So, mm-hmm. so you know, for Halloween or for, you know, little parties and things like that. And so I, by reading that book, I think that's the first clue that I ever had that the, there's people behind movies, that there's all these people and there's all this very, you know, you, you know, on your podcast, you talk about like the nitty gritty of, of what it takes to make a movie. And I think that's the first time I looked at like, oh, in order to do a mummy, it's bandages, and but there's sand in it to get to age it and doing all, it was like, it was like mm-hmm. really Real in the weeds uh, stuff that he had in there, and and specific stuff about you know Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, Wolfman, and, and creating all those looks, and and I think that's the first time I really recognize that there's a people behind the scenes doing this stuff, and that they have this incredible attention to detail in order to make something appear real uh, mm-hmm. on camera, and that that's that was a big eye opener for me. How did that carry over to when you were a kid playing around and making these little short horror films? Like, what was something that you're like, we got to get the, <laughs> we got to get this right, guys. Okay, yeah. we're, we're taking it over again. Yeah, like, like a lot of it had to do with like blood, you know, blood effects and, and, and things like that. And I, I think for me, I was really um, in love with camera moves and, 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 and framing and photography. So a lot of it was about creating suspense with camera and i you know my mom was a big alfred hitchcock fan and so she you know so she would talk about you know as a little girl going to see alfred hitchcock movies and that sort of thing and so i would see you know his movies were stuff that you know i think occasionally some stuff would play on 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 tv and eventually when we got like a vcr and cable i would see some of some of his movies and john carpenter being you know i got to i got exposed to john carpenter movies and the Mm -hmm. way he choreographed suspense and the way he would use, you know, Michael Myers in the background of a shot while the foreground people didn't know that he was there. Uh, things yeah. like that, like all of those things, those were things that I was, when you talk about like doing take twos and really kind of refining like what I wanted to do, that, those were the things that I uh, really clicked into, even as a little kid, like even like as, you know, like, you know, I, I was probably, this was probably, you know, grade school or something. So I was probably like, you know, 12 or, you know, maybe 11 years old when I was doing these, when I started doing these things, but it was that kind of film language that was the stuff that really, you know, I geeked out on. I'd always be looking for interesting shots and things like that and got into photography and that sort of thing. But I, but it was that kind of, it was the thing, it was, it was the knowledge that like people in the frame didn't know what other things were happening in the frame. Hitchcock did that, John Carpenter did that. And that was like, a, to me, that was like, real adult filmmaking like that's like me imitating like you know people who were uh uh you know that i considered math you know the my mentors and masters and that sort of thing that that that's the stuff that like made me want to like you know you know like you said two take twos besides besides the blood effects or you know my my, you know i I still to this day kid my youngest brother because he was always playing dead bodies because he was he was he was the youngest and so he would usually somebody has to do it he has somebody has to play a dead body and, uh, but you know, he, he would always, because there's a lot of mosquitoes and flies where we lived and near the forest. So <laughs> he was constantly as a dead body scratching himself and stuff like that. So I, I, I gave him a hard time a lot, uh, even That's to this boring. day, I gave him a hard time, uh, about the a fact very that he twitchy was, dead body. Yeah, incredibly. <laughs> yeah. Going through, going through a lot of like, you know, uh, death, death, uh, uh, you know, pre-rigor mortis death, death, uh, uh spasms. I love that you bring up the the language of cinema, like using the frame to tell a story. And 
One of the things that I said after I watched Renfield last week, I was like, oh, a movie movie. This is a movie that uses every element to tell the story. And and one of the things that really stood out to me was how you created these scenes, these set pieces of action comedy. And they were also part of the storytelling. One scene in particular, and this is in the the trailer, is this fight that takes place in this restaurant when Renfield first meets his love interest, played by Aquafina. And there's a moment where there's a, a reveal in a reflection of a of a tray table and it was so smart and tight and and clever and also conveying information and it's so complex like i can't even imagine how you started thinking about this so can you take us through like where where do you start in this process of a incredibly complex and effective and hilarious and action packed and bloody yeah. set piece uh, the uh, well, it starts with hiring uh, Chris Brewster, who was the uh, stunt coordinator and second, <laughs> yeah, second executive director. Hiring, so I'd, I'd worked with him a little bit on Tomorrow War. He helped choreograph uh, the end fight uh, with J.K. and Chris Pratt and the and the female white spike on top of the glacier. And I really liked how brutal and um, and 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 fun his fights, uh, his fight choreography was. Mm-hmm. I thought he was really inventive and. And so when I was, we were, we were looking for a you know, stunt corner on this movie, I immediately called him up to see what he was up to and if he was available. And he and I talked a lot about, you know, fight, fight scenes need to have a purpose, especially in a movie like this. You know, we talk about action comedy. It's like, you never know how like a studio is going to sell this movie. And obviously the script was very funny. It had action scenes in it and there was action, definitely action in it. But it wasn't like the action in the script was front and center. It was much more, there, there was comedy in the script. But the action and some of the suspense set pieces weren't quite in in you know in the in the script. And so what I wanted to do when I when I hired Chris was to sit down with him and kind of go through. We need to, we, each of these. We need to have really cool action moments, but they need to have a purpose. There needs to be a goal, and there's the goal can be you know an A story plot goal, but it's also there's also has to be B story character goals um, in there, even if they're just small, even if it's just like a th- you know one thing. Showing somebody mm-hmm. being comp- competent at their job, which is sort of where this is is, is leading, um, somebody being really good. And so uh, he and I ta- watched a lot of uh, you know watched a lot of modern you know stuff to talk about things we liked and things we did and things we wanted to do. Sort of you know sort of dreamt out loud about things that we could do that were sort of like drafting off the script. And then we watched some Jackie Chan stuff because I want because there has to be moments of humor or at least smiles that you're going to get out of something mm-hmm. that's like. Like you said, there's something that's clever or something that's funny or something that's revealing about the character. And in this particular scene needed to, you needed to kind of progress from, you know, showing Renfield being capable of what he's doing, but you also had to do it in kind of a way where it didn't blow all of the supernatural stuff. Like he didn't do something that was so amazing that, that it would suddenly like, you know, uh, kind of just like, you know, blow his cover, so to speak yeah, and make, yeah. make, you know, like Aquafina like, you know, center center on him as a, as a, you know, as, as, a, as somebody who's like a, you know, a bad guy. So we kind of, so, so Chris went out to do a stunt viz. He went to, he took a, you know, we didn't have any sets at the time. This was the very first thing that he stunt vised. And he went, took the team to like a black box and they created, you know, something that was sort of like similar to what we thought this set was going to be kind of a long, um, a long room. And he choreographed this really wonderful thing that had some of the, you know, I knew I wanted like, 
you know, a guy to get his arms sliced off, but, you know, maybe, maybe Aquafina didn't exactly see it, but sort of saw, like, you know, could vaguely see it. Um, yeah. I, you know, I knew there had to be a couple of things where he did something kind of amazing, but a lot of it had to be stealth. And and Aquafina had to show her action chops because mm-hmm. it couldn't just be where it's like the all Renfield show. I had to see her do some stuff so I could see that they were evenly matched and so that there was some, uh, so you saw that they were kind of like, you know, compatible and, and right. kind of, it's kind of like their first, you know, it's like the first date in yeah, a way. Like they're the, the, meet cute. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I kind of wanted them to sort of, you know, be able to see, you know, look, there's that one moment where they sort of look at each other and everyone wanted that to kind of be something. So yeah, so Chris went off and did that thing and, 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 and really that first stunt viz had a lot of those beats in it you know he did that mm. he did that bit because i because it was key where it's like i knew renfield needed to you know like save her in the beginning but there needed to be moments where that they saved each other where it's like he would save her with one thing that she would turn around and save him and then the final thing i wanted it to be where it's like something where she she saves him and so chris did that bit where you know he got them to the end of the fight and you know you know, Aquafina's on the ground and she's, you know, Renfield's just done something to save her, kicks this you know, table. And then she sees a reflection at the top of the glass. And I just thought it was so genius. And so like, yeah. I was like, so, you know, we, we, we didn't, for that fight scene, we, we didn't tweak that much from what he laid down. There's a few things, there's a few things that I wanted to do, but really for the most part, that was kind of the way Chris had, had laid it down, which was, which was really great to have that, a partner like that who was so good and worked with his team and, you know, cause you know, it, trying to find stuff like that on set, you know, is, is impossible. impossible. And, and, you know, because especially for fights like that, where there's both gun choreography, there's, there's, there's squibs as far as like in the set themselves. Mm-hmm. And you're also doing fight physical hand to hand fight choreography where things need to be stacked to camera and that sort of thing, meaning that the camera needs to be lined up in a very specific way to show a, a punch, to, to make a punch feel like it's connecting. Because if you're just off a little bit, it looks like I miss. But right. I still wanted the camera to be dynamic and that sort of thing. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of, the fact that Chris had done such a good job with like laying all that stuff, it made mm-hmm. it really easy in general. It's not, it's, not, it's never easy, never easy, easy, but it made it a lot easier for us to just be able to kind of shoot through that stuff. And I only need to do a few takes here and there mm-hmm. to be able to get everything we wanted to. There's very few things we had to really belabor in that stuff because it was just all really well thought out. And there was a couple things in the script that were extra bits that, you know, I think there was one where Renfield kicks a table into some people. He's, he's meant to kick it into four people that I had just turned into. What if he just kicks it into one person? Things like that where it just, because I didn't want to like you know, make, make, I wanted the apartment thing later to be where yeah. he proves to Rebecca after he tells her that. So, so, so the fight scene is a character thing. It's after, mm-hmm. you know, he's, you know, in, in this, in this thing, there can't be too much supernatural in the restaurant. There can't be too much supernatural. So that in the apartment scene, after he's told her that he works for Dracula and maybe she doesn't believe him, that then that the action scene is about showing right. the stuff that he can do. And that's, that's the whole point of that scene is that now there, you know, there's no more question as to whether or not he can do supernatural shit or sort of, you know, connect to Dracula. So, so hopefully action scenes do, do move some plot and character stuff at the same time. That's in the best version. I I mean, that I think is such an important thing to highlight because have you ever watched an action movie where you're like, why am I so bored? Like, I just don't care. And I don't understand the stakes. And I'm kind of like confused as to where we are. And, and the attention to detail on all cylinders, character, story, 
nailing the right shot or figuring out what is the right shot to convey this action yeah. movement it's an art i mean it, it's an art it's a craft it's a science and yeah. and it's incredibly difficult but when it's pulled off like that is that why i say movie movie because that's the movie magic that it lets us escape into a movie yeah. versus like in no sh- no shade to a oneer but yeah. you know yeah. there's something different about the power of knowing when a frame cuts with a frame and how that comes together yeah it's so exciting so at, i and at, there's oh go ahead no, i was gonna say action fatigue is real you know like action fatigue is a real thing that like you know and, and i think the problem with a lot of movies which have you know really great action set pieces in them and they're really fun is that there either isn't a goal or enough of a goal or it's not enough of a goal to sustain what they're doing mm-hmm. Or it's such a, there's, there's elements of the action scene that are meant to do some kind of like fan service-y thing or something where it's just, it's kind of there to like show off something else that has nothing to do with the plot or character. It's just a sort of like, oh, we got to bring in this character because it's part of it, you know, a deep IP. So let's bring this, yeah. let's bring this character in for this one moment to do yeah. this thing. And it's like, Okay, I, you know, I, I get it, and I, you know, and, and usually, you know, uh, in some some of those movies, they can still work because you know we are all such fans of of that stuff. But it, but it's really tricky to do that when you know, like when you don't have a real, like a really true, honest, honest goal. And like you said, every department has to participate in this because you know the the cinematography side would be lost without the editorial side. The the practical effects are lost without some visual effects. You know, help. And things like that, and in this, you know, and I'm fortunately, I, you know, I, I try to work with people that I like. Yeah, like I try to work with like people who who are who are artists, but also like who are true filmmakers and are there, like you know, because Brewster, Chris Brewster's there because he's a filmmaker. Jamie Price, the visual effects supervisor, he's a true filmmaker. You know, my production designer, Alec Hammond, he's a filmmaker. He thinks like a filmmaker. Lisa Lavas, costumes. She thinks like a filmmaker. She thinks about character deep, deep thinks deeply about character and how. Yeah. how costuming can be expressive. And and so those are the people that I want to work with because they, and they also understand that, you know, the other departments play a big, big role in that. And I want to, you know, I want everybody to like have a good time and work together and be, you know, I don't mind, you know, like I, I love a lot of input from the team. Like I like playing in that world and hopefully that sharpens my ideas too. You know, my ideas have to stand up to their good ideas. And, you know, the reason why we're going to go in a certain direction has to be, you know, you're, you're sort of sharpened by all the people around you. And that's, you know, that, that's really important to me, you know, when, when you're, you know, picking your collaborators and your team. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about the the look of the film. I mean, I, I want to specifically talk about the practical effects, which is, you know, talk about a homage to horror. Having practical effects, there is something a little bit, it feels different. And and there there's a practical effect in the opening in the first 10 minutes. I don't, I won't spoil what it is, but it has to do with Dracula and uh, I assume it's a practical effect. Uh, and it just brought it immediately. I was like, I am so here for this. So talk to me about like 
your experience working, like taking your passion for horror, bringing that into practical practical effects in this particular film and where you found the balance, because obviously it's a mix. It's a mix of practical and visual effects. Yeah. I mean, you got to make your day, you know, like to talk about, you know, like, you know, talk about like, you know, for a filmmaker, you know, somebody who's watching, listening to this and is, you know, how do I, how do you make it in the, in the film industry? You got to make your day like, you know, and so practical effects are take a long time. And if you've sort of made a deal with the studio and with your, you know, the producers and everybody, you're going to shoot for a certain amount of days and you're going to try to get to the locations you want to get to and try to get all that, you know, try to collect as much footage as you possibly can shooting. You know, that's why people turn to, you know, uh, turn, you know, you know, fix it in post. They, they do it in post later. They add all the blood later, add everything else later. But to me, you know, it is a homage to old horror movies. It's also just fun. I like doing things a little bit more like, the way that the filmmakers, you know, the, the you know, the, with John Ford and, 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 you know, James Cameron and, you know, people like that, where it's like, you got to go to a location and do stuff. It's not mm-hmm. all, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's, you gotta, you know, when tomorrow war, I wanted to go to Iceland and shoot on a glacier. We could have shot that. We could have sent a second unit team to shoot like, you know, exteriors. And then we could have just shot all that on a stage that we built a green screen, whatever. But I just wanted, I, I wanted people to like, I wanted people to feel cold and feel real and to feel like remote mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so that was important. And in this movie, I want, you know, having blood effects on set, dealing with all of that stuff, having, you know, body parts explode, you know, having Dracula explode a priest, uh, yep. thing, things, things like that. Um, it's fun. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's more fun to do. It kind of brings, every, it focuses everybody. Everybody's mm-hmm. a lot more focused. When you are, when you have that stuff going on, it's, it's, you know, it gets everyone off their phones. Mm-hmm. It gets everyone really like, really, you know, because it, because there's like, you know, there's, you gotta be, there's safety issues and everything else involved in it. So you gotta, so everyone's there and everyone's a little more on pins and needles and everyone's there for a purpose. And that's really, I think moments like that are really important. Same with, same with, you know, uh, you know, guns, you know, guns are another thing where it's like, you know, I want to make sure everyone is really focused. You know, fire gags, you know, everyone's got to be really focused. I'm not the director on a set when, when we're doing, you know, the fire gag, there is the, the stunt team takes over, you know, the fire, you know, and that's, it's really important. Everyone's got it. You know, everyone, you know, it doesn't matter what the fuck I say. It matters what, you know, (laughs) matters what he says or she says, you know, that's, that's the most important thing because you're dealing with, you know, some, you know, real, you know, uh, issues, safety issues. So that to me is like, um, and I, I love that stuff for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, when you talk about like the movie feeling like a movie, part of that and, and the homage to the old school way of filming, part of that is also just like the camera equipment that we use and the lenses that we use. I mean, I, I, we, we specifically used old lenses that are not coated on the surface of the lens. So, that, so modern mm-hmm. lenses are coated and that's meant to sort of keep out certain light, you know, refractions within the lens and stuff like that lens flares and all that kind of thing what lenses like were you using these this were this is how neat uh, peek out we get here we love we like talk about yeah. camera what lens yeah we were using panavision lenses and we used a red camera on this movie i like to shoot i, I you know I, I i like to shoot in the extremes uh, in general lens wise so I, I like you know i like it either really really long lens or I like it really wide. And I like a lot of, I like a lot of, you know, shallow depth of field. I, I like, I like, a, I like, you know, more, the more shallow, the better, if I can create more shallow depth of field, the better. Use a lot of smoke 
on set and that kind of thing to kind of, again, create more shallow depth of field feeling and try to, as much as possibly, practically light the sets and not really do a lot of, you know, a lot of like manipulation with like bringing lights in. I mean, you know, Andy and, and, and his team would oftentimes, if we're going to a close-up, they'd bring, you know, they'd bring a, a, a handheld unit in or sometimes, you know, if the camera wasn't moving around too much, they could just sort of stick something near camera. But for the most part, I was lighting it as, as much as possible. Andy was lighting it. His team was lighting it as much as possible with practical stuff, whether it was the candles, whether it was stuff mm-hmm. above, you know, or coming shooting through, you know, the set and things like that. It was a lot. It was a lot of that kind of thing because I want to be, we want, you know, got to move fast in movies like this when we're doing dialogue scenes, because there's like comedy stuff. I'm, I, you know, I want to do a lot of takes and improvise things and let the actors kind of, sometimes I, I like to just kind of let the whole scene play out, even if it's not meant to all be on camera, just because it's like, sometimes you find things because the actors are in it. We're not just getting a little piece. We're not just getting a little line, yeah. not tagging this thing. They're in it. That's, that's, that's the reason why I think the CODA stuff works the best because the codependent, you know, me- meeting stuff works the best. Is because Wait, I, w- sorry, what is the codependent? Oh, the codependent meeting within yeah, the codependent yeah. anonymous. Yeah, I was like, what's what's a codependent? Uh, <laughs> I may or may not be one. I don't know. Uh, t- but, talk to me about one of the discoveries you made when letting a scene play out, especially with improv, because you know it's it's hit or miss, and and yeah. if you can't, it seems like you allow there to be maybe this isn't the right word, but I like the word messy, but controlled. It's like. Yeah. You know how to control it and let us play and get messy. Let your team play and get messy. So no, something no. like improv could be go way off the rails yeah, very yeah. easily. How do you yeah, yeah. hone it in? Yeah, no, Gigi, it's incredibly messy. <laughs> <laughs> the process and the and the end result are incredibly messy, but but there is something because I want, you know, I want people to find things. I want people to discover things. I want people to make it their own. So whether mm-hmm. it's the actors or it's the camera operators. I sometimes want to, you know, in the in the case of the Coda meeting, you know, we had three um, cameras going at at, at least, mm-hmm. um, sometimes four, because I wanted to, you know, wanted, you know, so everyone could be on camera at the same time, which also keeps people, you know, it's not like okay, this half of the room, you don't have to worry about it, you can phone it in. It's like no, you could be on camera at any moment because again, the lighting is up there. The only thing you have to worry about is the footprint of the crew, which is all in general behind the camera. So we're sort of shooting the room. You know, we're shooting basically two thirds of the room could any, could be on camera almost at any time. And it was just the third, you know, that we were on, uh, back there. Uh, and sometimes we were just hiding behind things on set so that the camera could kind of go around and find things. But I, you know, I wanted, you know, I want the, I want the camera operators to find things and be, you know, really, you know, uh, additive to the process. So I would, so I would say that as far as specific things that we found, I think there's just moments of kind of raw, realism for lack of a better way of putting it were things we found just as much as we found comedy that there was things where it's like you know because Bess uh, who played Caitlin you know she was really in it like she mm-hmm. was really crying and stuff like that even though she's gonna you know do a ska joke at the end of it but she was like you know deeply in it and by playing it out like a play by letting it play out for mm-hmm. you know a 10 minute take to let them do the whole scene it forces everyone to kind of you know again everyone's got another lines everyone's got another timing everyone's got to be like right on and gives the cameramen and women an opportunity to like, you know, find, you know, so, you know, something. And then, and then, and then the next time they do it, they can try something a little bit different. And we'll say, Hey, yeah. you know, now you focus on that guy. Now try this. Or, you know, Mitch will say, you know, to somebody, Hey, try this, go, we'll, we'll flip the lenses and go a little bit wider, a little bit closer, things like that. And, 
And I think for me, that's just, it kind of creates this sense where, because I didn't, I never wanted those guys to be a joke. I never wanted right. those meetings to be a joke. I don't want it to be, you know, I don't like to punch down. Like I think, you know, the comedy got to punch up. Like, you know, uh, the, the, the idea of like making fun of these people in a way, maybe there's like a, a hint of that in the script that I never really liked. I always wanted it to feel like we care about these people. Yeah. These people weren't silly because Renfield has to join them. And you have to feel like maybe Renfield can, can have just a little bit of an attitude. I think Renfield has a little bit of all oh, these affirmations are bullshit and all that kind of thing that he has, but that's just because his character needs to grow to the place where he cares about it. So that the, right. and any, the filmmaking can't, can't punch down on them. Renfield can, cause that's a part of his arc, but the filmmaking can't feel like it is. So the more I played it, like some moments, at least a little sincere in there, it was also good contrast for the comedy by playing some things earnest. Then you get a treacle cutter that kind of, that, that kind of undercuts the sincerity a little bit and gives you a laugh and, and, mm-hmm. and keeps, keeps the scene from feeling like too maudlin. And, and uh, it makes it feel real at the end of the day, hopefully it makes it feel real because everyone's performances, they're just a little bit more because after, you know, again, you do a few takes where you're doing the whole scene, everyone just gets a little more worn down and now they're kind of being, yeah. they're, not, they're not acting anymore. They're just being in the scene. They're being in the moment and they're listening. They're listening at all times because again, the camera could be on them at any time. So they're listening because they may be, they, you know, you know, the, and I, and sometimes you catch people, you know, slipping a little bit and it's really good because like, hey. You, you know, I got, you got to be engaged. You got to be listening to what she's saying. It's really important. Yeah. Show me how that feels to you. That engagement. It's, it's, it, it's such a cool thing to zero in on this particular ensemble within, within the movie, because we come back to them over the course and they are part of the story and they set off different parts of the story. And when you're putting you there is this authenticity to this group that you not only ca- from a casting perspective but like you're letting them share their stories their reactions are very now that you're mentioning it I'm like yeah it didn't bump me and often I do get bumped by like the generic like cutting to somebody's reaction but all these this was people actually listening to this performance as it runs through and that shows on the screen on top of that you have you cast Brandon Scott Jones, who is this incredible improviser, but yeah. also has this golden heart. Oh my God. That, oh, I just yeah. like want a hug from him <laughs> always. And that also created a, like a, yeah. a weirdly safe space for us as an audience. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And I think that is important in building us seeing why Renfield needs to change, us also seeing like being here and rooting for, and then d- down the line, that there's a payoff with yeah. the story that yeah. is really important. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's so cool. Yeah. Brandon is amazing. And that was a hard, you know, it's funny cause I don't think that the studio thought of that, like as a hard part to cast and they're like, why is it taking so long to, you know, find somebody for this thing? And it's just like, we found a, you know, a couple of really great, really great people. I was actually really spoiled for choice, but, but Brandon, like, like you said, a, he's super funny. He's incredibly gifted as a, as a comedic performer. But there is something else about him. He is so warm. As a human being, he is incredibly gracious and giving and kind human mm-hmm. being. And that's just like, that just permeates through him. It permeates through his face and his body. And uh, I have gotten a hug from uh, uh, Scott Jones. And it is, it's worth it. It's worth, worth it. It's, it's worth, worth it. getting a hug. Oh but, but, but the rest of the actors were all, for the most part, other than Bess, I think, the rest of them were all local New Orleans Actors, oh, okay, uh, Jenna's from Atlanta, but like everyone else is all local to New Orleans. And so I got to work with some really wonderful people 
there who, you know, Roche, who was wonderful, who played Travante, and he was just like, you know, he was really great. We had a lot of really good, like, you know, good people that brought just some really interesting shades to the characters. And I knew that you needed, there had needed to be a little bit of Frank Capra to that scene. You needed to sort of like just get a little bit of, you know, each of who these people are. And uh, I knew that was going to help us, you know, go a long way to keep, like you said, kind of keeping you emotionally engaged in that part of the story. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you're coming to set and you're setting the tone as a leader on set, especially when you're working with a new group of people, how do you how do you create this space where there is this type of playfulness and ability to like try new things? What how do you go into this and set that with everyone? That's that's a really good question. I wish I had like a set thing that I knew that was like a way of <laughs> that was like the perfect tone setter because I think a lot of times you know you're sort of finding this in the first couple of days, but I th- but I think the thing you know the table read. I tried to let people know I didn't care about making mistakes. I didn't want anything to be perfect. I wanted people to feel free to try stuff and to be real and to be expressive and to go for it. The thing that I, when we did the table read, I brought this image from um, uh, Powell and Pressburger's movie, The Red Shoes, um, which uh, is, is this image of one of the dancers, one of the, sorry, it wasn't the main character or, or any of the main characters, but one of the side characters. But the way, you know, the way they had photographed him and his expression was just so big and theatrical and almost silent movie. And I was like, don't be afraid to go big. Don't be afraid to be expressive. Don't be afraid to try things. It's not about, you know, all we need is one take. All we need is one thing. Everything else is just, we're just, you know, I want to give you as many bites at the apple as you possibly, you know, can. And I think it's just, you know, and that's the same with the crew too. It's like, I'm not, I'm not the kind of director who goes in there and like dings everybody for everything, you know, half the time, like, I mean, I think this frustrates some people, but half the time I'm not going to give, like, if somebody screws up, I don't need to go over and tell you you screwed up. You, you, you know, we, we talked about something ahead of time. You went and you went and did it or didn't do it. Or you didn't do it the way we talked about it, or you forgot about the thing or whatever. I'm not going to go in there and sit there and go, okay, here we are again. You know, I'm not, I'm not like, I, I, I just go, okay, let's do it again. You know, let's just do it again because you know, the, the, yeah. the, the camera person knows what they did. The actor knows what they did. They know, you know, they, they know that you can see it right afterwards. You just see it in their face, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no reason to like sit on people like that. I want to try to treat as many things as possible, as much love as possible. I think mm-hmm. that's the most important thing. Give people love and they're going to give you back so much more than if you sit there and you just, you know, because a lot of times when people are berating people, it's, it's, it's from them. It's their own insecurities. It's their yeah. own need to sort of like have some sort of weird power trip or something like that. And I'd rather, I'd rather do more takes and, you know, keep trying to find something than like sit there and go, you know, like, just like make somebody have a bad day or make somebody have a bad time in the movie. The DNA, the DNA of your crew and the DNA of your, you know, the, 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 of your actors, the, the, whether they're full of joy or whether they're full of like, you know, uh, nervous energy because they're, cause they're, you know, you know, being, you know, ruled by a, you know, a taskmaster. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to get baked in your movie and you're going to, you're going to feel it. And. And I think you get better stuff out of people the more 
you give them the room to create and the more you give them love to, you know, when they, when they don't, you know, like, because again, everyone knows that, you know, you, you know, you know, you didn't do your best, you know, you, you know, it, or, you know, there's something more you yeah. can get out of it. It's just, it's people are smart like that. They're, you know, they're, these are all professional people. They know what's going on. So, so give, give them the room to try to make some mistakes because, you know, then they'll try again, something, they'll try gonna, something different. And, and, and that it, could be the thing that was missing. And it may be something, it may not be something I would have ever thought of or ever asked for. And they might, because of that, they might've created something that's wholly unique and really, truly original and really, truly honest about the character of the situation or whatever. And that's where the best stuff comes out of is when was when comedy or drama comes out of the character or situation. It's not something that comes out from outside the story or outside the moment. It's not imported in it's something that comes it comes genuinely out of the, you know, the character of the conflict or the situation. And that's where you get like really great stuff. And that's what I want to try to create as much as humanly possible, you know, as, as much as you can. That's kind of a perfect segue into talking about our, the, the two Nicholases of, mm. of it all, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Holt, different spellings, mm-hmm. um, who to your point about, not being afraid to go big and go far with a character and take it to an extreme. But I think because there, it sounds like there was this space to play and this trust with you of we'll figure, we'll figure out what the right thing is. Like you, there are these two very authentic characters who are so fun. And so like, I, I just, Again, how, how, who came first? And also, what were you looking for in terms of codependent chemistry with yeah. these two? I wish, I wish I could have made an entire movie just with those two guys, because those guys are so fun and, and amazing uh, on set. They're, they're true. Uh, both of them are true originals. I read the script, and when I was reading the script, you know, I like some of the humor, and I like the action, and and the and the and the, the, the you know the cockeyed you know the the thing that Ryan and and, and Robert Kirkman had, was were true geniuses in figuring out was just you know taking uh, you know Dracula is the most filmed character you know in in the world like you know second only to you know Hamlet or uh, Sherlock Holmes or something mm-hmm. as, as far as like most you know tr- times Dracula the character of Dracula has been used but 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 this was such an original take and using. Dracula and Renfield's relationship as a way to talk about codependency and toxic narcissism and all of that kind of thing that felt really great. But I was really, when I was reading the script, I was a little concerned about, okay, who are you going to get to play Renfield? Cause if you get somebody who's just straight comedy, it's, it's going to be one kind of movie and, and, and the casting can be really crucial in something like this. You know, if you're casting, you know, somebody that the audience just sees as like a straight comic actor, it's may not be the same as if you're mm-hmm. casting somebody who's, well, I, I, you know, somebody who can do both or somebody I've got, you know, a certain kind of, you know, relationship with, you know, in the drama space or whatever. And so I just, when I was reading, and and I'd had a meeting with Nick Holt, different project a few years ago, and I always liked him. And he and I kind of just, it sort of kept in touch a little bit. And I, when I read the script, I was like, the only, the only way this movie works is if it's Nick Holt. I didn't see, you know, I literally didn't see anybody else for this role. I just was like, this has to be Nick Holt. He's the guy who get who's going to get this. He's going to be able to get the comedy. He's going to be he's going to be able to get the 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 charm of what you can do with a character like this. He's unafraid to be vulnerable. He's unafraid to be unlikable. He's unafraid to be not cool. Like he's like he embraces stuff like that. And yet he's still a movie star and still has incredible chemistry with mm-hmm. with actors and with the camera and all that kind of thing. So I just I just 
I knew that he was the guy that this was the make or break thing that if we didn't get him, I don't think this movie is going to, I don't think this movie is going to, you know, lift off the, lift off the, you know, get, get a green light and go. And so I was lucky that he was available and interested and saw value in this character in this, 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 this movie, this, you know, a performance here. And he was amazing. Like everything I could have, you know, threw himself in the stunts, threw yeah. himself in, you know, just, just everything. The, the best kind of guy to be, you know, number one on the call sheet, just like true, a true gentleman, true kind hearted human being. And just, you know, was additive, additive joke wise um, at, you know, love, love playing around with the costumes and things like that. Just a real a guy who's just like joy, joy, joy all the time. And then with, with, I didn't think with, with Dracula that, you know, this, the studio sends you these lists. Like I'd said, I said, Nick Holt's the guy, this is the guy, we're, the only person we're going to talk about for Renfield. We got to go, we got to go for, for Nick. And then, but the studio, you know, they, they send you lists of people and sent, you know, send you these lists, you know, people that they, you know, you know, whether they approve them or not, or sort of like, you know, and mostly the list is like, you know, uh, breathing actors, you know, between, you know, 30 and 55 yeah. or 60 years old, you know, it's like, it's they've like, got a pulse. Yeah, they've uh, got a pulse. You know, it's like, it's like, it's, you know, there's no one making a, you know, there's obviously no creative, you know, choice there. It's just a list of people that they might accept in general to play this, play this part. And um, I didn't think that they would necessarily be behind Cage and just only because, like, I, you know, I, I thought that they were going a little more, you know, like with, with people who are traditionally, you know, popular right now. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to, you know, Cage obviously has been a movie star. But he's also a guy who sort of like doesn't chase after studio stuff anymore. He's just going yeah. after really interesting things and, 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 you know, really great. I mean, I love Mandy. I love Pig, you know, um, he's, I mean, I've always loved Cage since, since like raising Arizona, like just, yeah. you know, he's, he's just so good. Valley so, girl, you know, like all those, those movies, obviously you talk about committing like somebody who will, who's not afraid to like figure out what it is to get to where, what the film needs. Yeah. And, and there's a movie called the kiss of death where he played a, a, a bad guy is, or I think it's Richard Price wrote the script, I believe. And it's a David Caruso movie, but Nicolas Cage played a bad guy. And this is like when Cage was jacked up. Like he was like real, like he's just uh-huh. like, he would just look like, you know, just like, you know, really like a, like a bodybuilder. Yeah. And he was, and in fact, in the, one of the scenes in the movie, he's like bench pressing a stripper or something <laughs> like that. That's what I remember from the scene. He's, you know, he's not a big part of the movie. He means he's the main villain, but it, you know, but it's like every time he's on screen, he's incredibly intimidating. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, he's really, he's, he, because this guy's an asthmatic, it's this big tough guy's, you know, you know, got his puffer in every other scene, huffing on his puffer. And just that combination of like, you know, incredible uh, menace and incredible vulnerability um, always stuck with me. And, and, and I, when, I was, when I was thinking about Dracula and I was thinking about people that like, as me as an audience member would be interested in seeing play Dracula, mm-hmm. he was the guy, I was like, that's the guy that for me, my money, that's the person that a million other people could play Dracula and maybe I'd be interested, maybe not. Yeah. He's the guy I got to see what he's going to do. And knowing that he can do, I mean, he's got such range. I mean, he's just demonstrated range throughout his entire career. And he can, you know, he can do the most avant-garde thing in the world. And yet, at the same time, he can do incredible, like, sincere, romantic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, it, it Could Happen to You, with him and Bridget Fonda. Putting it's it really, on the list. It's really charming. It's so well done. It's just this little bit of magic realism in New York about a, a he, he plays a cop who wins, a, who gets, who has a lottery ticket and he wins the lottery and he, 
because he couldn't tip the waitress played by Bridget Fonda. He agrees to split the, even though he's married to Rosie Perez, he agrees to split the lottery ticket with, with this waitress. And it's just this really great, really great. Um, anyway, he's, he can do it. That guy can do anything. And he's, and he, he's so enthusiastic about making movies and mm-hmm. being on set and being a part, you know, of, of, and building this character, like working with him, you know, is so inspiring and, to have the two of them together, the way how well they play, they, and, the, and when 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 Nick Holt was a kid, he played you know Cage's son in a movie called The Weatherman, mm-hmm. and um, oh, The Weatherman, and uh, it's you know the, the, so they had so, you know they had some you know connection from the past, but that also kind of informed a little bit of like these them now you know it's Absolutely. like a, it's just uh, we're all still in awe of Cage and and you know we're on set it's like it's like you know it's a masterclass in acting and. And he's he's got great ideas. He comes to the table with lots of you know funny you know he, sometimes it's like he supposed to change a word to make it sound a little older, like a little more obscure word. And stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just really it's really great. Uh, and but he's just like just just like he'll do he'll try anything. He's like he's unafraid to just you know if like if he's got one idea about a scene and I'm like okay we got a couple of takes like that can I try this or do that he'll throw himself like it could be the exact opposite direction he'll throw himself into it and he'll. He'll discover things. He's always listening in the scene. He's always listening to other actors, listening to what the, you know, kind of the, the tone of the scene. He's just, I mean, he's just incredible. I, you know, I can't say enough good things about working with Cage and, and, and Holt. They're just wonderful people to, to be on set with. It seems like across the board, you were able to bring together a team of people who were like, fuck yeah, we want to yeah. make this movie and, and committing to it. And that I think is something as emerging filmmakers, the people you surround yourself to quote, you, Chris, they are the DNA of your movie, and that comes across on the screen. And I think that's so important to remember. Now, as we wrap up here, what advice do you have for emerging filmmakers, folks who are, you know, making their first shorts, getting their hands dirty? Maybe they're feeling a little late to the game, but eventually they want to be making their Renfield. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, you know, I think the thing you have to do, you have to, you have to go out and make stuff. You have to find people. Whether I mean, and you've got iPhones and in, in, in you know software now that that you know uh, people didn't have. So so the cost barrier to make stuff is 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 obviously a lot less. I, I go out and make as many things as you possibly can and try things out and find out what you're good at. Find the thing that you you know like because you'll because you know, again every day on set you're going to find out things you're good at and things you don't have. You know the answers. To those you're gonna have. You're gonna. Have, you're, gonna have, you're not gonna have. You're brilliant answers to some questions. You have, you're gonna be at a loss in other questions. And it's good to find those things out. And then, and then as you learn those things, buttress the things that you aren't good at, and lean into the things that you are, and find partners who can help you who are good at the things that maybe mm-hmm. you're not as good at. Because you will be able to find. You know, if, if like if story is your thing or performance is your thing, maybe you need to partner with a really good DP, a really good producer, a really good writer. Find those people that, that you can find those people in your circle of friends. You can find those people if you reach out to other people, because there's other people in the same boat that want to get their first thing off the ground. There's somebody out there. There's a guy or a girl who wants to write a script or do something. And if you're you know, a director who's not interested in writing, you can find those people that want to do that. If you're somebody who's, who's, who's great at, 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 at the visuals, but you're not so good with you know, you know, the acting or something like that. You'll, you know, you're gonna find, you know, the actors, they're gonna help you and and allow the actors to help you, allow them to mm-hmm. help you, you know, create the character and that sort of thing. You don't it, it, I think somebody told me a story about JJ Abrams on one of his early things is like somebody was talking about some very technical stuff in a in a VFX 
meeting and he goes, guys, I don't know what any of that stuff means. Can you explain that to me? Like I'm, you know, like I, I you know, like I'm, like I'm a you know, complete novice. And that's such a, I think people really appreciate that because people want to help. You're going to find that if you allow people to help you, they want to help and they want mm-hmm. to put themselves into the movie. They want to invest, you know, these people aren't just there in a nine to five thing. They, they, they want to be a part of the process. They want to be a part of it. And the more you give them, you know, information, the more you give them the ability to participate on a real level, um, the more they're going to throw in to help you create something really great. And so the more you can give of that team and find those, those people and keep trying to find those people. And again, try to find the thing that you're good at and lean into that thing, right. you, know, you know, and, and, and you'll, you're going to, you know, yeah, I, I truly believe every dog, you know, and even in Hollywood, every dog has its day. Yeah. And if you, you can, you can, you can find a way to, 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 you know, don't give up. You, you will find a way to get into, you know, uh, Hollywood if, if you, if you keep trying. It takes a lot of pressure because I think emerging filmmakers feel like they have to do it all or know it all, yeah. but it is who you, it is the people who you create with and come up with and create I'll say it, a family. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, that's why sometimes sets have that summer camp vibe. If you can cultivate that, and at the end of the day, that will be a better product and a better story. And, yeah. and uh, or maybe it'll fail and it'll be fine because you can do it again. Yeah, you can, you know, it's, it's fail now. Like, you know, and that's the Pixar thing. Fail fast and fail often. Like, mm-hmm. like, like make, get your failures out of the way. Try, you know, and again, every project, you're going to have a moment of failure. Every single thing, every movie, every movie, every filmmaker. Has you know has movies that that just didn't work or moments within a movie that worked brilliantly that just was not it was a sticking point that get you know muscle their way through all that stuff is you know you, you don't you don't have to worry I think part of it you got to you know I think the best version of a director is somebody who doesn't have you got to take the pressure off don't don't sit there with all this pressure and you're running around like that you know the more loose you are the more open you are to listening to what's happening right there. The better you're going to be, the better decisions you're going to make, the more engaged you're going to be with all of your, all the people you're working with. And that's, and that's truly like you, like, that's like surfing. You know what I mean? Like you're just, suddenly it's like, you're just letting, letting the wave take you and you're just, you know, you're flying. And that's, it's, that's a really great feeling if you can make that work. I love that. Well, I can't wait to see you fly again as a director for the next film. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Juju. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you so much to Chris for joining us and to Chris's little brother for being the body in all his movies all those years ago and for our listeners for tuning in. Chris's ability to keep story, process, and playfulness front of mind in every aspect of filmmaking comes across in both the way he talks about it and on screen. I hope that you're able to see his films and specifically see Renfield in theaters so you can see how he is able to create this vibrancy that I feel makes something a movie movie. Do you know what I mean? Let me know what you think. What's the last movie movie you saw? And what did you think of our conversation? You can like and subscribe to the No Film School podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also get more No Film School at nofilmschool.com and follow us across social media at No Film School. Next week, we'll be interrupting our regularly scheduled programming for some coverage about NAB. So you won't be hearing from me, but instead our team that is live from the ground. 
And we'll be getting into the nitty gritty of the latest in tech and filmmaking. Thank you so much for listening and have a good one.